You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Searching. Hello, my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today as we together consider life from the perspective of that holy book, the Bible. I suppose everyone, at one stage or another, has searched for something. Maybe it was a lost object, such as a wallet or some keys. Maybe it was something valuable. Maybe it was for a life partner or perhaps some important papers. I'm fairly sure you've done some searching in your life. The Bible has a number of searching stories, and before getting to the main part of this program, I'd like to share some of these stories with you. Luke chapter 15 is a beautiful chapter of the Bible. It is a record of some of the sermons of Jesus where he expressed deep truths in parables. Parables are short stories, some of which may have been based on actual events, to illustrate a point. So verses 8 to 10 is the parable of the lost coin, and here's what the Bible says. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls to her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A woman was obviously not rich. Otherwise, she probably would not bothered to go to so much trouble to find the coin. But that one coin meant a lot to her, so she did all she could to find it. The coin did not even know it was lost. The point Jesus was making here was that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should have eternal life and he makes every effort to find lost souls. Now, I'm very aware of an offshoot of Christianity that maintains that those who will be given eternal life are certain individuals who are on God's favourites list. This movement is known as Particular Redemption. Interestingly, the people who belong to this movement all think they are God's favourites. This movement has been around for centuries and is based on a misunderstanding of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And that reference says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. 
Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. But you know, that view of these few verses is in complete contradiction of many other Bible verses like John 3.16, which says that whoever wants to be saved will be accepted as he or she accepts the merits, forgiveness and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How then are we to understand that people are predestined to be given eternal life? Well, the answer is quite simple. It's found in Second Peter 3, 9, which says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God chooses or predestines everyone to have eternal life, but it is up to us to make that decision. To illustrate, say a rich relative decided to leave you $10 million. The money was put into a bank account waiting for you to come and claim it. What might you do? You can either ignore the offer or you can go and claim the money. Your rich relative cannot force you to take the money and God does not force anyone either. You must choose, although God is always willing. Well, another of the parables Jesus told was about the lost sheep. This parable illustrates God's love for human beings, for individuals like you. And it's found in Luke 15, verses 4 and 5. It says, suppose one of you, having a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which was lost. And Jesus said, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. The sheep owner represents God who doesn't want anyone to be lost and goes searching. Why? because he loves you. That's why. The lost sheep represents someone who realises he or she is lost, but doesn't know how to get to the Lord. The third parable is about the lost son, sometimes referred to as the prodigal son. It's the story of a young man brought up in a good family yet who wanted to go out into the world to see the bright lights. All went well for a time, but when his money ran out and his so-called friends abandoned him, he was forced to take the meanest, lowest job caring for some pigs. He was dirty, hungry, and his clothes were tattered. One day 
he took stock of his situation and realised he was on skid row. He compared his present life with what he's had when he was still living at home. So he decided to take his chances and go back home where, if need be, he might work on his father's farm as a labourer. As he approached the farm, his father was out there on the road waiting for him. And instead of remonstrating and scolding his stupid son, he welcomed him with open arms and took him back in the family without any conditions attached. He was accepted. How many days, weeks, months or even years the father searched the horizon to see if his son was returning home, the Bible doesn't say. The father represents God. The son represents those who left the faith but decide that what the world has to offer is not satisfying and turn back. Even those who leave the family of God are welcome back. Now, I've heard it said that when someone accepts Christ, they will not and cannot fall back into the world. But I want to tell you that's a load of nonsense. The New Testament records the names of at least five people who were sincere converts to Christianity, yet fell back to their once worldly ways. They are Diotrephes, Demas, Arminius, Alexander and Philetus. It is important to make day-by-day choices to serve the Lord. It is important to make it a habit of praying, reading God's word and sharing with others to keep your Christian life going, glowing and growing. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 admonishes us to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Do nothing, and you will stagnate and fall back to default mode. We need to work at our salvation, to keep ourselves in good tune, to continually be refreshed in the things of God. Now we come to a particular passage of the Bible that is about a search. It's found in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Here Jesus was speaking to a group of Jewish leaders, Pharisees and teachers of the law. These people were constantly opposed to Jesus despite all the evidence that he was indeed the Messiah. They did not accept him. They regarded him as an enemy because he taught differently than they and also because the people loved him and flocked to him. The Jewish leaders were nervous that he would upset their authority, so they took every advantage to challenge him and try to catch him out with hard questions. But Jesus was much wiser than they, and none of their dastardly plans worked until 
on trumped-up charges and false testimony, they had him crucified at Calvary. So what did Jesus say to these Jews in John 5, verses 39 and 40? Well, it was this. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Yes, these Jews had gone through the Old Testament Scriptures with a fine-tooth comb, looking for the secret of obtaining eternal life. Then they practised all the rituals of animal sacrifices, of cleansings and washings and strict observance to the law. In fact, they added many rules of how to keep the law, especially in relation to keeping the Sabbath. For example, they forbade lighting a fire, cooking, lighting a lamp or carrying anything like even an umbrella on the Sabbath as that was considered working. These man-made traditions continue with the Jews even to the present day. Flushing a toilet is generally accepted by modern-day Jews, although flushing the water with disinfectant in it is not. Now, please don't get the idea that the Sabbath has been abolished it has not, and God has not changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. That's been the work of the Roman Catholic Church, and most Protestants knowingly or unknowingly accept the authority of the Catholics by keeping Sunday as their worship day. We're going to have a little break here and go on straight afterwards. Dear to me, where I'm longing to be With my friends at the old country church There with mother we went And our Sundays were spent With our friends at the old country Save my soul at the old 
Jews of Jesus' time came to the conclusion that if they strictly kept the ceremonial laws along with the moral law, they would receive eternal life. And so they searched the scriptures diligently. However, they missed the main point. That point, as Jesus explained, was that the scriptures testified of him. It's impossible to be saved by keeping a set of rules, however good they are. Rules have no power in themselves. The power is to be found in the person, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, wrote in Galatians three, twenty-four and 25, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Here he pointed out that the law was the means of revealing what is lacking in our lives, and it had no power beyond that. However, in showing that we're sinners, the Scriptures pointed the way to Christ, through whom we have forgiveness and eternal life. Well, has the moral law been abolished then? No way. What has been abolished is ceremonial law about sacrifices of animals for the absolution of sins. The Ten Commandments stand forever because they delineate what sin is. If the Ten Commandments were to be removed, there'd be no means of determining what sin is. And if there's no law, there can be no sin. And if there's no sin, there is no need of a saviour. And it's simple as that. Unfortunately, the Jews were looking for someone who would liberate them from the rulership of the Romans. All the time, when Jesus walked the earth, the Jews had their get-rid-of-the-Romans glasses on and could not see past that. But Jesus' mission was much greater. He came to liberate humanity from the clutches of Satan, to free people from the bondage of the devil, to be free in the kingdom of God. But that statement made by Jesus carried further meaning. Here it is again. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures Jesus referred to was the Old Testament. Now, I am aware there are plenty of so-called Christians who discount the Old Testament as being non-factual with names and stories concocted to present good morals. That view is so short-sighted it's ludicrous. Archaeology has proved time after time that the Bible record is true. The Old Testament stories, people and places are factual. And furthermore, as Jesus said, they testified of him. You know, there are about 350 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, to come. If you take Jesus away from the Old Testament, there's nothing worthwhile left. 
it would be like removing all the bones from the human body. And if you've been under the impression that the Old Testament is a waste of time, you're tragically wrong. Yes, I admit parts of the Old Testament can be quite boring, but these parts, like the lists in the book of Numbers, are part of the whole and are part of the big picture of how God has dealt with rebellious mankind. It's good to read the scriptures and even better to search them. But to do so effectively, you must have an open mind. You must draw your conclusions from what the Bible says. It's quite wrong to read the Bible in order to try to find something to support your preconceived conclusions. Maybe you've read part of the Bible from which you get an idea, such as I referred to earlier about predestination. To stop there would lead you to believe that God has some lottery system to think that if your name comes up, you'll be saved regardless of how you conduct your life. But the Bible provides a methodology of how to go about searching the scriptures. And that methodology is found in Isaiah 28.10. And it says, For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Before coming to any conclusion, you need to look at all the available evidence. You must compare here and compare there and look for the consensus of agreement. I believe many have fallen into error because they have not been very thorough in their search for truth. But you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is found in him and through him. Salvation is found in and through him. Freedom from sin is found in and through him. Eternal life and eternal happiness and eternal peace is found in and through him. But you know, like those $10 million deposited in the bank for you, you have the choice to accept or ignore Jesus. It's my hope that you will accept him as your saviour, your liberator, your Lord and Master, and it's my hope that you will choose with wisdom.